0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to Office Hours. If you're watching on YouTube, you can find out more about what we do at officehours.global. Our first hour is general discussion about media production and our second hour is usually something we want to spend a little bit more time on. And today we're going to talk about the website, our website. What, what are we doing? Where is it? Ha, where, where have we gotten to and where are we hoping to go and where do you want us to go? So we'll be taking uh, your comments and questions around the website uh, as we kind of brainstorm some of those things as we do a lot of these internal streams while we're t- Finding a new space for our little space. Uh, so, so anyway, so um, so if you have comments or questions about that, go ahead and throw those in as well as, if you have general questions, you can throw them in throughout the first hour. If you are in Makana, vote those questions up, uh, throw those questions in, tag those questions. If you're not in Makana, uh, you can simply use this little QR code here, and this is um, uh, askofficehours.global. You can just type it in, askofficehours.global as well, and you can ask questions there 24 seven. So we uh, file them all in uh, at, the, uh, at the beginning of the day, and, um, and so if you've got questions, go ahead and throw them in there, and we will answer them as well. All right, let's go ahead and jump into the questions. Jason, what do we have?
1: Alexander Knight in Port Coquitlam, BC, Canada writes in, How would I go about creating rolling credits similar to what Office Hours has for a podcast? I have a free
2: version of DaVinci Resolve. Go ahead, Mitchell. Uh, The trick to doing a rolling credit so it's silky smooth as it goes up um, is to make sure you set the speed. And the positioning and the size of the font so that uh, it plays nice with the sub-pixel rendering that might be going out. There are some plugins out there uh, that calculate uh, each pixel as it moves up one step. It doesn't put it in between pixels, which is what causes the jitter or judder, as uh, Courtney calls it. Um, I do it in After Effects all the time, and I use an expression, which uh, Chris was able to dig up, uh, that uh, calculates every single frame as it renders it out. So I know After Effects isn't what you asked for. I'm sure Resolve will work as long as you make sure that if you're getting too much of that jutter or jitter, um, try uh, changing the speed, try changing the size of the font, try uh, setting it where it starts. You just got to make sure it doesn't get in between the pixels. Go ahead, Chris. Um, I think the official word is uh,
3: jitter. uh, According to this youtube video jitter or jitter so we we've solved that problem there's a website called end run which has a, tons of tutorials about how to uh, uh, it's a lot of information about how to how credits are done and how to do them well and from that uh video that i showed here there's actually a link to a pastebin site which has that expression that um uh uh, Mitchell was talking about, <clears throat> and it's an, in, a very short tutorial. I think it's, um, uh, I go back to here, I apologize. It's like, yeah, it's a four-minute tutorial on how to do it, and it's super easy. You you make a null object, you paste the tu- the thing into it, and then you parent it to the text. I would recommend that you use Illustrator. So So the answer, Alexander, is what Mitchell and I would say is, Make it outside of, make a file outside of uh, Resolve and then bring it in. And is it end run or end crawl? Uh, Go back. End End, run. End end run.com. No, I'm sorry. Look at this. The the type oh look at this. It says right here end run, but it is called ncrawl.com. You are correct. <laughs> I was like, I was like, there's a new site that does there's this. There's a new <laughs> site on how to make credits. <laughs> but um, <laughs> but the trick that what Mitchell was saying, the trick is is you've got to get the speed right. And and this is one of these things where um, technology and and you know physics uh, and technicians are gonna always butt heads with producers because the producers are gonna go can you just make
0: it a little faster? No, I can't. There's, there are a few speeds that it will look really good. We are no longer paying for the film. Like we do not need to cut, make it go faster to save money on film. That's what it used to be. It, literally, it used to be uh, that, you know, if you multiply that by 6,000, this is how much it's, it's gonna cost us, you know, uh, $80,000 to put, to run it a little slower. I mean, literally, I've been in those conversations. It was, it, I'm just kind of like, it's just digital bits now. Uh, go ahead, Mitchell.
2: I was going to do a, a tutorial, but Chris just did it, and uh, it's just to show you how simple the fix is. But looking back, there used to be a day when we used a Chiron to do a silky smooth uh, uh, crawl and credit, whatever you want to call it, um, and uh, have no problems with it. And by the way, there is a website that uh, film producers use to do crawls. They just type in the information, and the company will output the uh, the, uh, the credits for you with that silky smooth um, uh, crawl at the end, whatever the, they use internally, but there is a site that does that
0: and, and and everyone should use it because most films do not have that, like what you see is a jerky uh, jerky crawl on um, when i when I go to a theater, I mostly notice jerky crawl one thing that will that makes that worse is black, white on black. So if you do, uh, the contrast makes it worse. Um, uh, I have done some where I've added just a little bit of motion blur and it actually smooths it out a little bit um, as well. So that's something you can do. It makes it a little harder to read them. Um, but, it, but, you know, and for most people, you know, it's a, the, the credits are really important because that's what ends up in IMDB. <laughs> you know, so so it's, it's useful to be in the credits so you can have those things. Um, the, uh, but I don't think you should be really modeling your, your closing credits uh, after office hours, I mean, it's good. It's, it's it's very very solid. But I think you should look at a series of unfortunate events. I think that's really the the that's the high water mark of end credits um, is is a series of unfortunate events. I mean, they do break into so Is great. that a movie? What is it's that? a movie. It's a movie and it's just the
4: best. Lemony
2: well, Snicket.
0: Lemony yeah. Snicket, a series that, of unfortunate events. Is that the one where they events. run it
2: backwards and it's not no, going up, it's going down?
0: No, no, no. It, it was all done in After Effects and it was done in about 10 days. I was actually in Albuquerque. Uh, they did a the motion graphics. There was a, there was a motion, a great. Did we just miss it? I think we did a great motion graphics conference that that um, is done in Albuquerque and um, uh, and uh, it is um, but they had the guys that worked on it and it was like fifteen days or something like or ten days they did the whole the whole closing credits and they are just a work of art you know they're a little two D they're two D planes inside of three D of, of him in the ocean and bad things happening and everything else it's super creative. Uh, I love I love opening credits and closing credits. Um, I don't you know like I, when they're done well, and uh, I think that my favorite is the my favorite open is probably the Kingdom, and my favorite close is probably the uh, Lemony Snicket. Yeah, go the ahead. The Kingdom is amazing. It's I've just we've talked about it before. We've talked about the you know the thing with the Kingdom is uh, it shows you how you know it's what to me what education like it it gets you up to speed about what what's going on for the for the movie. In two and a half minutes, like in two and a half minutes, I'm going to teach you something. And I feel like that's what edu- you know. That's as close to what I would call a two twelve education. B two twelve education. When I when I refer to it as a, you know when in the matrix where they where she says I need a I need a program for a B two twelve helicopter, <laughs> you know. Like so uh, anyway, so yeah, it's it's good. Yeah, good, Mitchell.
2: Yeah, I was just going to say, uh, and if you give up on the rolling credit, you can do the one that fades up and fades down, fades up and yeah. fades down. That's perfectly legit. Mm-hmm.
0: I think we need posterized versions of everyone starring Mitchell Hill, Josh Kaufman. Uh, anyway, uh, next next question.
1: Chad LaFarge in Columbia, Missouri writes in, Chris, as an editor, how would you approach making a super cut or montage of our Office Hours birthday song tradition? It could start with a more recent or current one like Oh yours.
3: Chris? So here's, how I, here's how I would go about doing this. There is a website that Jonas uses that can search the text of a of a of a channel. Like it does the whole channel, and so you would I would search for words like you know birthday or uh, this is embarrassing or don't be weird. That would be one of the things I would. That's one of that's one of (laughs) Alex's mantra. Yeah, but but we can't do that here.
0: Weird. So, but but it it is what's it called? Can film what? But it is uh but it is your birthday. Yeah, but isn't it true, Mr. W- Fenwick, that today is your birthday. <laughs> yes or no answer only. Yes or no answer. Don't don't try to explain it. Your Honor, when I took an oath, I I
3: oath I swore to tell the whole truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. I cannot answer that question with a single word. This this lawyer is asking me to perjure myself.
0: May I please <laughs> He give swore the on a Spider Man comic, Your Honor. <laughs> <laughs> all right, here we go. Is everyone ready? Right? Don't be weird. All right, everyone, 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 ready? All right, all Don't right. Don't be so, weird. We're not. We're just. We're, it, it, there's no way to not be weird on this. But but it's but it is what it is. All right. Um, so I will start it. I will start it. But but uh, um, everyone just try to follow me. Don't try to listen to anybody else. That way we almost all stay and sing. Except I'm slightly ahead. All right. Uh, Chris makes it harder when he does that. So he's just trying to make it harder. Okay. Here we go. Happy birthday to
5: you,
0: happy birthday to you, happy birthday dear Chris,
6: happy birthday to you. There we go.
4: (laughs) And many more. And many more.
3: But there is that website. It, it, Mickey, can you say it one more <laughs> time in my ear? It
7: goes right back to it.
3: <laughs> all right. Yeah,
4: happy birthday, Chris.
3: Films. Filmot. Filmot. There we
0: go.
4: Okay. Courtney, did you want to add something, Courtney? Text yeah, I was just going to suggest that uh, Mitch, in, with his uh, graphic skill, create a bouncing
0: ball over the lyrics that yeah. we can play as a lower third to keep us all in Oh yeah. Yeah, that's exactly. We did that. Here's the funny thing is, so there's an uncanny valley problem with the birthday thing, which is that we did that early on. I did a bouncing ball version of this and people got close enough that it was actually super weird. There's something about the car accident version of it that actually works. And as soon as we got close, you just heard that we were all out of tune and there was a whole bunch of other things. So it, it actually, I gave up on it because when we got close, it sounded worse than when we were just kind of doing the best we could. <laughs> so I decided to stop. We could, be we a could practice. Meatball. What we could do is start practicing as a choir. You know, like we could have weekly meet- happy birthday meetings and that wouldn't be weird at all, would it, Chris? Well,
4: why don't we use just that like Fireplay
0: app that uh, was. <laughs>
4: you <laughs> know, a distant relative
2: thing. of mine uh, wrote the song, Hill. <laughs>
0: Oh, nice. Um, and uh, is not getting any royalties for it anymore. I think that, that, that we we finally solved that problem. There was a whole bunch of happy, happy birthday and all this silliness and they finally were like, no. Same thing with the kookaburra song. Finally we just was like, no. All right. When uh, will we get that way with the Mickey Mouse stuff? Uh, we are getting that way because it's slowly rolling out. The earliest Mickey Mouses are now up uh, public domain. The early, really? the, earliest from, the one of from Mickey 38?
2: Mouse. No, from thirty-three. Steamboat yeah. Willie is now public domain.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, the longer Disney, <laughs> the longer Disney fights the, the the fights that they're doing right now, the more Mickey Mouse will be uh, uh, open domain. So, look at the silver lining of all of this. It'd be great. And so, you know, and, and once Mickey Mouse is public domain then Disney has no reason to stop fighting. Except they
4: stuff. incorporated Steamboat Willie into their trademark and oh.
0: re-trademarked it. So it's still going for another. Hang on, but it's going to get ugly over the next five years because it's going to be harder and harder to protect all of that. All right, next question.
1: Eduardo Augustine in Panama, PA writes in, which cameras does Amazon use for their Thursday night football show? Video quality looks really crisp and sharp. I could see the knit from the shirt.
0: You know, I think that, uh, I don't know which one specifically, um, I believe it's Sony 4200s. Um, uh, I'm just, I, I didn't, uh, I was trying to, I was trying to get around to reaching out, but I was trying to get also get set up here, um, and so I couldn't. I don't use pr- traditional broadcast cameras, um, and so I'm not 100% certain, um, but there are you know, the, the cameras that are kind of in that range are the Sony HDC 2000Bs. Um, I think the 4200s are a little older um, in that area. So I think that there's – but it's going to be the newest 4K, um, you know, Sony Sony systems. Um, I believe that that's what they're using. 5500s, 35 – there could be a 5500, a 3500. Um, the uh, those are those are kind of in that range I'm going to keep on talking hope that someone from the team uh, pings me but I haven't seen it yet those anyway, are box but, cameras aren't they no they're not box cameras They're they look actually the, the form factor actually looks a lot like that one there um, but it is um, that's a 950 and so that the, the cameras look a lot like that they're still broadcast cameras they have box lenses on them so there's these huge box, len, box lenses on the front 90x 100x more or more on those lenses but they're typically these – you know, the camera backs are, are – I mean the cameras are still what look like typical broadcast cameras. Uh, at least that's the last time I've seen them. I haven't seen them recently um, at, a, at, at one of these things. But they're um, – but those are the types of cameras that I would, I would guess um, that they're using is probably like the 5500 or 3500. Um, next question.
1: Andy Kokendorfer in Vieira, Florida writes in, I've used QuickTime to record remote control, but how could you get similar quality local recording for an exec using Windows? Thank you.
0: Go ahead, Courtney.
4: Well, I would suggest not even using your computer, but using if you have, if you can get an isolated image of that exec on an HDMI, or if he's using a local uh, camera that's HDMI input, uh, like I am now, you could run it through one of these boxes. It's, this one's uh, kind of from ClearClick. They're fairly cheap. They record H.264 uh, onto a USB stick, uh, and they do a pretty decent job of recording the audio and video uh, in about a 10 uh, megabit per second H.264, uh, either 720 or 1080p. And it's completely isolated. You don't have to worry about your computer slowing down or Windows doing a update in the middle of it and stopping recording or dropping frames or any of that stuff. Or if you're using Zoom ISO, you might be able to run it through a box like this to independently record. I'll let everyone else opine on how to record it locally using QuickTime. Go ahead, Josh.
5: Uh, There's a couple of things you could do. Um, You could use OBS to capture if you're looking to screen scrape. Um, Zoom also has integrated recording features. So you could either do a cloud or a local record. Nice thing about the local records is you, you can get the, uh, the ISO audios along with it if you check tick those in the settings. Uh, there's a few things in the settings that you can adjust to have less GAC on the screen. But um, OBS works pretty decent to capture a secondary image. Good, Chris.
3: The key to Andy's question here is he doesn't want to re- re- rely on Zoom's bandwidth to be smooth. Uh, to Josh's comment, to Courtney's comment, Courtney, you're not going to get a C-level guy to... It, first of all, he doesn't have a camera that's HDMI. He's using a webcam. You're not going to get a C-level guy to crawl around behind his computer with a little box and a bunch of cables. That's never going to happen. Uh, like, never. Never is a C-level person going to do that. Um I, would, I, think I, I think we have to read our questions better.
0: I, I
4: don't know. I think that – um, Well, would you get uh, him to, to install special software and I mean, set Chris, it up right and hit the right record button at the right no, time? No, but what, what
3: Andy – what it sounds like Andy is doing on a Mac is saying, please check on the thing that allows me to control your screen. Then he opens up QuickTime. Then he feeds the webcam into yeah. QuickTime. Then he hits record, and then he says, sir, you may begin now. And I think that's really brilliant, actually. That's a, that's a pretty brilliant solution if you can live with the uh, the webcam and the bad lighting,
0: et cetera, et cetera.
3: So the question is, is there a way to – is there an on-screen recorder in the Windows Not world? Not
0: on-screen recorder because what he's doing, I think, Andy, you can let us know. But what I think that Andy's doing is using QuickTime to record. He's not doing screen captures. No, no, no. He's that, capturing I, I, too QuickTime. The question is, is, totally is there agree. a – I mean, I think that you could do it, you could do it with OBS, you know, on, you know, that, that type of thing, you know, would do it. You know, OBS will record. Is there a built-in and, in app, though? Is there built-in a built-in
3: app. app in the Windows that will just say, record my webcam into it?
0: Like a video, like a video input.
3: Yeah, exactly. Yeah,
4: yeah there's a recorder. The, the camera app, which comes in Windows, has a record button in it. And you there you go. Record. That's, that's the answer that Andy's probably looking for. Now, uh,
0: how would I do it? <laughs> we we sent we sent uh, Blackmagic 6Ks a crew to executives. Of people to the no, guys house. No 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 ding, No no. You you you. If they have an executive assistant, you get them to set up a 6K camera and you control it over Bluetooth through the you know through the Bluetooth app, and then you hit record on it. And uh, it doesn't matter what their bandwidth is. You're going to get 6K log back, and then you and then you put it together, and it works great. It is a little bit of a setup, and some of the executives, if they have to set it up themselves, let's say during COVID, um, they, if they don't get the, if they have trouble with the the mount on the tripod to the teleprompter, you get a lot of blowback. (laughs) Go ahead, Courtney. I might point out, I think, I'm not sure, I'll have to check it
4: with the latest version of Windows, though. I think if you launch the camera app, if something else is using the camera,
0: you can't use it. (laughs) So it only lets one application use the camera at a time. No, that's a bummer. Yeah, the the uh uh QuickTime, I mean with Mac it used to be that way where only one thing got the the video at a time, but now it's like once you once it's in the system, everything can see it. You know, um, that you they can all attach to it. Uh yeah, go ahead Josh.
5: Uh yeah, I agree. Didn't quite look read the local record part of that uh, that problem. You can use uh Riverside FM to Invite them on there, and then you'll have the uh, the access to push them to that that software. It's not on Zoom, but it uh, works similarly. You can record things for their side, and then after the record process closes, it'll upload uh, that local record.
0: And just remember that if you don't pay enough money to Riverside, they will um, they they crop your 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 camera aperture, so you can't actually see the whole image. It is the most ugly business idea, maybe ever. Like maybe not ever, but really, really dumb. Like it's why I won't use them. And it's mostly just that it is a – I just find what they did with that to be repugnant. Like that's the technical term for what they did and they should not do that. Like and I'm just going to keep – every time we talk about Riverside, I'm going to bring up the fact that they do this weird crop and it's just to get you to pay more. Like it is – it's repugnant. So yeah, are, ahead, are you Chris. saying
3: you – are you saying you don't like it? I'm, it's I'm repugnant. a little confused. It's not that
0: I like it or not like it. I'm just saying that the, I'm the technical term for it is repugnant. You know, and so hopefully someone cuts this out and sends it to them. It's repugnant. So you sound wishy-washy. Sometimes yeah, yeah. you really like it. Yeah. And
3: sometimes you really don't yeah. like it. I'm yeah. confused.
0: Repugnant. All right. <laughs> so anyway, uh, hopefully someone cuts that out. They can just send, you can send it to them. I'm happy to talk to them about it. But it's repugnant. All right. All right. So um, uh, anyway. If you'd like to ask questions, we're just slowly working through these ones for the first hour. You can ask them right now in Makana. Make sure to vote on the questions. The voting makes a huge difference because it orders our questions for us, lets us know what you think is the mo- are the most important questions for the first hour and the second hour. So if you've got questions, you can tag them uh, in Makana as uh, uh, Office Hours uh, w- um, for the Office Hours website. That's what we're gonna talk about with the second hour. If you want to ask general questions any time of the day, you can go to askofficehours.global. Um, that is askofficehours.global. Um, and uh, you can ask the question. Or use a little QR code right there. Uh, if you don't know how to get into Makana or how to get into Discord, all you got to do is go to officehoursglobal/join, and uh, you will be able to actually become, get an email every day that will tell you how to do that. All right. Uh, let's go to the next question.
1: Jack Cannon in Phoenix, Arizona, writes in, I need to buy five mics for a podcast that is mobile. Looking at the MV7 lineup and see they've added the MV7X, less money, and no USB interface. I have a mixer already. Is this a good way to save budget, or is it lower quality sound?
0: Can I go ahead, Mitchell?
2: Yeah, the sound would be exactly the same, and it's true. They do have a uh, XLR only and a combo version with the USB and the XLR on it. But, uh, you know, to save a few bucks, here's what might happen to you somewhere down the road. You might have to do a job and the mixer doesn't work. And you can't do anything with that XLR connector. If you had the USB, your backup, plug it into your uh, laptop or your uh, desktop computer. Um, and um, I guess you can get at least two microphone MV7s into a Mac M1 uh, before it starts to get uh, nervous. But um, I think uh, the, uh, the USB is a good thing. And it's a little bit of an insurance policy, so I'd recommend you stay with that.
4: Uh, go ahead, Courtney. Yeah, I wouldn't use a USB mic uh, because if you're going to have five mics in this podcast, you might run into difficulty with five USB streams coming in and trying to mix them. So you'd be better off with, uh, you could if they have that X version, it's just XLR only, that'll work good into your mixer, provided your mixer has enough gain. Uh, make sure you have, a, a you know, like a sound devices or... Um, uh, actually the f six the zoom f six has auto mix on it has six inputs and has enough gain to handle those uh, dynamic microphones so that's be good uh, you said you have a mixer so just test it uh, with that mixer to make sure you can get enough gain out of them uh, with those uh, m v seven x's that are XLR only uh, but you you're, you're going to have run into trouble if you're trying to mix five USB mics and besides with uh, if you have a uh, if you've got a five-input, uh, if you've got a five-mic podcast, you may want to have some type of auto mix in there because if you don't know who's going to talk when, it's going to sound like a whole room full of noise.
0: Go, ahead, Josh.
5: Yeah, um, if you're buying a hybrid microphone, you want it because you have both the accessibility of the USB and the XLR. So, if from a value proposition, it doesn't really make sense to. Buy a hybrid if you're only going to use the XLR. I I agree with what Courtney said uh, and and, um, Mitchell as well. Um, Having an interface um, helps to be able to put your mix minuses. Unless you plan on mixing on software on the computer, you're probably not going to need that. I find that uh, economically, if you need a USB mic, buy a USB mic. If you need an XLR mic, buy an XLR mic. If you need the hybrid, uh, get the hybrid and you have the capability to do either. Go, ahead, Chris.
3: Jack, I'm going to be the descent here. I would get the the MV7 because yes, you're going to you're probably going to do these people all at once. However, you may need to because you're doing it around the campus. You may that we could go through another lockdown. We could you may have to send mics around to people. It's a buck fifty more per mic to go ahead and get the MV7. I, I would just I would just do that.
0: Yeah, the yeah the the audio quality is not only the same but slightly better if you use the XLR than the USB. So so it's it is a uh, we have a lot of MV7s floating around. We use them for the podcast that I work on, um, and uh, with Gray Matter and the uh, we find that they they sound they sound good. I I will say that the the gain coming out of the USB is just barely enough. Um so that's usually the challenge on our end. Um the but it is nice and what we can do is it means we can send this to somebody and they don't have to have an interface. They just plug it in and it goes. And that that is a really um you know very valuable um uh, piece. Now the other thing you can do, if you decide later, this works fine too. Um this is the uh I think this is made by Sure or is this Sure? Yeah, Sure makes this little M M it's MX M V X2U. This is the little Little guy here. I don't know if I can get it to focus. I can't. The one thing about Sony is they will focus on your. So this is a little interface that you can put on the end of any mic. It turns any mic into a USB mic. So this is about one hundred twenty nine dollars. So, so you could um, you could just convert it later if you decide to with this. So so as long as you know that you can go out to get something like this, this is actually a better. USB interface than what's built into the MV7. So if you're willing to have another piece that's on here and this doesn't, one thing they took away from this is all the controls. So it has a headphone out on the back so that you can get the, the zero latency uh, return um, and it's USB-C, the problem is, is that the MV7 is USB micro and it's really not very like it does not handle heavy use well. So, um, so that's the the problem with the micro and on that on that mic specifically. So, my temptation would be to get some a couple of these and then get MV the MV7xs. We use the MV7s because I don't want to think about another piece of equipment. But I am on the border of getting these for even for the ones that we have the USB micro because the micro jiggles out a lot. Um, and so that's the only the only thing. This produces a better a better result there. So that's something for you to think about there. Um, you know, and I don't. I think the price. I think you'll end up buying this for the same price, the same as the Delta between, or very close. Maybe not. It's not a buck fifty. I think it's like a, a a hundred bucks or ninety bucks or something like that between the two. So you might pay a little bit more for these later. Um, you know, if you decide you you want to add a USB, but the USB there will be better than the one that's on the actual mic. Um, And remember, there's an MV7 dB. I don't think that that improves the quality of the (laughs) – it just makes it louder. Um, And and so uh, the quality of the preamp. Yeah, go ahead, Chris.
3: Yeah, I just – when I was reading it, I was like, oh, wait a second. There's a mic I didn't know about. So to be clear, we all know the SM7B. That's like the classic, you know – uh, large diaphragm blah 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 then there was the mv7 which is the usb slash usb uh, usb slash xlr recently they came out with the sm7 db which is the one that has basically has a cloud lifter built into it what is the mv7x and that's only 179 dollars right, that's at the sweet
0: that's the that is the mv7 yep. and that's what that's what he's saying without the usb so, I'm saying that oh, you could save money on that and just get a bunch of NV7Xs, and then if you decide that you need to send it to somebody, you get one of these, and you send it out to yeah. them. Um, because this is a, uh, this will sound, this is, I don't know if it'll sound better, but the USB interface is a lot better. Go ahead, Mitchell. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I'm a, I'm voting for the device that uh, Alex has there. I think that's cool. And if you don't mind, would you post that, Alex? That's a sure product, correct? It is. It's an MV. And, I'll let somebody else post it right now because I'm hosting. But MVX2U. There you go. Um, and the other thing to keep in mind is uh, if you have you if you have USB available, you can plug it into your uh, 15 iPhone. Yeah. Go ahead, uh, Courtney.
4: Yeah, but I still think you're going to run into problems if the five mics are in the same location. If you're bringing in people remotely and you're sending the mics out, yeah. But he says here in the in the question, five mics for a podcast that is mobile. So it sounds to me like he's moving the five yeah. mics around to different locations. Which and like uh, and there's the uh, this. SM7DB, I was going to mention that, that does have the uh, higher gain on it. So it, it's XLR out, but it uses uh, phantom power. So you got to make sure your mixer has
0: phantom power. All the inputs. Yeah, I think he's trying to save money on those two. And and again, you can, for a podcast, we have to remember that the auto mix works. If you have to stream it, the auto mix is really important. For a podcast, you're getting all the individual, uh, you know, you're recording all the individual tracks. And so you're going to. Fix it in post. You gonna mix it later? Oh, big <laughs> pain! I would never do that. Oh man, welcome to podcasting. So much of that. Um, but you could. You, but you could use something like an auto mix. But but it. But the bottom line is, is that uh, you, for a podcast that isn't going out live, you can absolutely uh, automate that later. And it's not. It really isn't. Doesn't take that much time. If you have a. If you have a mini control board for it, you can sit there and fix it almost in real time. Because you actually, I, I'll play it. Twice the speed. <laughs> I'll go through it and just not twice, but 1.5, and I'll sit there and just move everything around and then go back and tweak everything. And it takes about the same time as the podcast. But we usually assume that there's going to be post in most podcasts. So uh, next question.
1: Our own Guy Cochran used the QR code from Los Angeles and wrote in Is the new high vision four sixty four K HDR bonded cellular transmitter better than live views offering and he includes the link.
0: I don't, so I did take a look at it um, when I saw the question come in a day day ago and I I looked through it. I don't see anything that makes it dramatically better than Live View. I think that the real question that I didn't, I wasn't able to answer looking at the website was how much does it cost? You know, so, um, but it looked like they kind of, I don't know if you saw something that I didn't see but what I saw was them trying to match the live view offerings almost feature for feature of like hey we can do that too. So um so I think that that's the you know the the thing and I would I probably let somebody else um take the first pass at that for production um only because it's new and live view's been doing this for a long time. <laughs> so uh so I think that it, it it's a it's a, what they're doing is hard. Um, and they may have figured it out and 5G makes it a lot easier like if you're in an area that can get 5G you get a lot more bandwidth and it's a lot easier to too. Um, so they might be able to work it out and, and high vision has a lot of great transfer products that work well. So if anyone was going to be able to compete in this area it'd be them but I didn't see anything when I looked through it when I scanned through it I didn't I have to admit I didn't I, don't, I haven't tested one but when I scanned through the website I didn't see anything that stood out like oh that's way better than live view I just saw it as they're doing a live view and so it feels like they have to compete on price. Next question.
1: Kyle Heyman in Chicago, Illinois, writes in, what are good live caption tools? What good live caption tools are out now for a live stream of theater?
0: Uh, there's a, I mean, it just depends on what you're trying to do. So um, there is the, the, the company that kind of really owns live captioning is is AI Media. So if you do AI Media, there's they've got a couple different options there. One is You can pass the stream through their system and it will use AI to um, caption it. Um, AI media came out of, I believe, Australia. And a lot of it had to do with Australian laws were very intense about uh, accessibility. So you had to have a lot of languages available. And so um, they built up both AI and re-speaking and a lot of other things to make it more efficient. And so and then they bought EEG, which is the large in the United States and really in broadcast the. The, the big player there. So AI Media, what you can do is you can pass your your RTMP feed to them, and then have them pass it back out to wherever you're going, and it'll add the captions. It won't burn the. You can burn the captions in if you want, but it, what it will do is it'll add it to the actual metadata that goes out. So the what would typically be in a in a traditional pipeline, a line 21 or the bank data. Um, is then what usually our encoders encode that as a separate stream going out as typically like a VTT stream that goes out the AI media will add that in the middle and then give it back to your to YouTube or or Facebook or whatever um the other way to do that is um is to use actual hardware so EEG makes what's called a 492 um, and that's going to be uh, SDI you know in SDI out and it's going to add it to that that bank data there um, and the and what what you can do is connect via iCap and you'll use either something like Lexi, or you'll use which will automatically connect to iCap and then do AI as well. Or you can have a captioner sitting on the other side typing away. So those are all things that are that are able to be done live um, from hardware. Um, there's Falcon and a couple other ones that are done by that are by EEG. But there's they're kind of blending blending what AI media does. And there's this kind of slow, uh, you know mix of things that are going on between um, AI, you know, between AI media and where, where EEG used to be. So they're just kind of mixing and matching those things. There are other options and there's going to be many, many options for live captioning as we move forward because of AI. Um, but those are the market leaders right now. Go ahead Courtney. And one question I had is if it's live theater,
4: it's a scripted, let's say you're doing a play that is scripted. Uh, and they 've done it, done this performance many times you could Could you load the script in so that you have all the text in there, so you don 't have to use AI to decode it, which will delay it considerably and so in the live stream of that theater you 're going to be seeing the captions five or six seconds after the uh, or long well, after the words are said if it 's having to decode in in real time, but if it has the script in advance and you could have someone just triggered. Uh, trigger each line uh watching the play uh, to uh, it, make sure the captions go out in sync. I built software to do that on a live t v show right. uh, so that the audience could see the captions in the right language in real yeah. time, so they 'd laugh at the right moment, so timing was critical, but i didn 't know of anything that 's out there
0: well if you send it to if you send it into their online version it it actually syncs it up because it 's tying those there 's no delay in the AI like it just it just throws them in or it 's a little bit of a delay, like one or two seconds, but it 's really, really close. The other thing that we've done is, if you send the video, if you actually separate the video and use an HTTP input or some other input into the system, you can set up a system where you do, you actually buffer the the live stream a little bit and you let the captions run in on their own. So if you can, if they go in separately, you we used to uh, we used to tie the you know tune the buffer in YouTube so that our our captions would line up. The thing you'd be careful of. Is if the captions get ahead of the video, people won't believe it's real. So it's really, really important to stay. You have to shadow your captions a, a little bit behind and make sure that they don't actually catch up. Because if they catch up and get ahead, um, then people think that, that the live thing is is fake, even though it's just it's just a buffering uh, issue. So it's something to think about. Uh, next question:
1: Andy Kokendorfer in Vieira, Florida writes in, "How do you protect yourself and your gear from robbery when shooting
4: on the street?" I Go ahead, Courtney. Private security, that's what we've always done is there's, uh, at least in Hollywood and in, in a lot of production facilities, uh, you know, places or in normal cities, they have private security firms that will hire a guy to stand there with the word security on his shirt. A big beefy guy is going to chase down, stand next to your equipment and guard it while you're at lunch or away from your equipment uh, just to make sure nobody messes with it. And uh, to keep the, um, you know, strange people that wander around on the streets. Out of the shot. Good, Mitchell.
2: Yeah, I agree with Courtney. If you have the budget, if you're a small organization like me, um, there's a couple of things you do other than putting a couple of beefy uh, PAs near where you're staging your gear. Um, one is don't put a decal on your van carrying the equipment, advertising what you are. Just have it blank. That's the best thing to do. Don't draw attention that you have expensive equipment. The same goes for the cases uh, that you're packing your stuff in. Don't say, this is an expensive Sony camera in here. Uh, That's the last thing you want to do because you're drawing attention to it. Um, And uh, just basically permits will help too. If you're a small organization, anytime I shoot in a city, I'm getting a uh, shooting permit. It usually requires you have a police officer on staff. And if you have a a man in uniform or a woman in uniform, uh, that will uh, discourage any uh, petty theft. You got Chris.
3: There's a very ironic story in San Francisco just recently, where a, a crew, a television crew from, <clears throat> excuse me, Los Angeles, came up to shoot a story about car theft and the smash and grabs in San Francisco.
7: And they, they got hired smash a, and grabbed.
3: They hired a security guard to stay with their van the entire time they were in front of City Hall, as I recall, and the security guard turned away for 15 seconds. All of their IDs, all of, you know, all the gear that wasn't on their shoulders, all was stolen. They had to go to the airport and say, my ID was stolen. Can I please fly home to LA? Yeah, you have to be,
0: you, I think you have to be, it's a, a lot important. of it. Yeah, you have to be, you know, uh, especially in cities currently. And, and again, this is Part of the problem is not that the cities have become that much more dangerous, but really because uh, the the crime has become much more organized you know so they're, you know they're, the, the folks are getting much better at it and so um, so the, uh, so you do have to be pretty you know situationally aware of what of what you're doing. Um, a lot of times we never pull stuff out if there's not a couple of us there, two or three people. So we don't do it by yourself because you just can't manage it. If someone grabs something, what are you gonna do? Chase after him? You can't, <laughs> you know. Because and they and they notice that, like that you're coming out by yourself and you're stacking cases on a cart. All they have to do is get you to run after one person, and then they take the rest of the stuff with them. So, um, so you have to, you know, you want to think about that. All of our cases now have trackers, so I, obviously they they probably know that too. But but literally uh, every case that we have, and and now more and more of our equipment have Apple trackers in them um you know and so that that has to do with um uh you know that that at least would let us know where they are oftentimes the most use for the tra- trackers is when we ship them we know where they are like we we told Fed- fedex said they couldn't find our case and we were like uh it's in the northeast corner of your building i can see it <laughs> like you know so so like i you know i know exactly where your case is <laughs> where were my cases and so um and they're like oh yeah i forgot there was pe- that place that could be you know it was like one of a it was really funny Uh, process so um, but as far as protecting yourself I mean we've had very little of that but we do all of our computers have um, sub BIOS level tracking so we've had people steal our computers and we know exactly where they are. We know where they are we know what they're doing we can even take screen captures of what they're doing with our computers like you know it's you know so um, you know so a lot of that stuff you can kind of put into the system and, and then you the biggest thing is insurance for loss because you will lose things while you do production. That is that's part of what you're doing. You know, you'll break things, you'll lose things, things will get stolen. And that's part of doing production and you want to make sure that you're insuring or budgeting for some shrinkage um, because that's a reality of what we do. Uh, Next question.
1: Albie Lopez in San Antonio, Texas, writes in, Hello Office Hours panel. What would be the recommended different for you fly packs that can be taking into airlines checked luggage? Some cases don't have much padding and looking for an alternative, and what recommendations for power? Thank you.
0: Uh, go ahead, Courtney. Uh,
4: I've used these SKB cases for years, and they have this one that is a is shock-mounted. It has these little rubber shocks in the corner, and this is, this is a 4U. So you get a little internal cage that you rack-mount your stuff in, and uh, the shock mounts uh, – Keep it uh, pretty secure. Uh, it's uh, po- you know it's ABS plastic. It's not a great strong case. You can break it if you really drop it from really high. Uh, polyethylene cases like the the uh, Pelicans. They have this SKB that's designed to drop into a Pelican. I think it comes with the Pelican. This is for you. The internal case then comes out of the Pelican and stacks on top of it. That's another solution you can use, and. Um, Oh, as, as for power, I have these uh, rack-mount power strips, uh, looks like this, uh, that have uh, switches. It has eight, eight outlets on the back. Let's see, where's the back of it? There. Um, it has eight outlets on the back. And you can individually switch each one, and they're widely spaced enough that most uh, wall warts will fit in them. That's the biggest problem I have is fitting four wall warts. If I want to put four wall warts on one switch, i got to put a little tiny um, uh, breakout that goes to three connectors uh, or a cube tap uh, to hit the wall warts off of one switch. But those work good for me. That
0: was from uh, ADJ Power Products, the PC100A. Yeah, we use a lot of the SKB ones that you can pull out and we find them to be pretty effective. Um so they uh uh, what's nice about them is is that you aren't having a case inside of a case. They're already racked up. You're not putting them in there. You just pull them out, and they go up to about 10U. You have to decide how deep you want them um, to make that actually work. They don't work with really, really deep um, pieces of hardware. Um, but they work well, and we use a lot of them. What we do also is they, they've gotten better where they, they have little feet and little receivers for those feet on the top of them, so they all kind of lock together as you go up. A lot of times we'll run a ratchet stretch, a ratchet a ratchet strap around them and then close it and we usually have those with our kit anyway because that's how we put them onto our onto our um, our rollers when we come in and so we and it just makes it like a very a pretty solid piece of of uh, of gear there Um, they they also in hot areas you know they're a lot more ventilated because they're not inside of something so they they actually work pretty well for that and we've been pretty happy with them the key is to really think about when you put them in you have to think about support and how that support's gonna work with larger items. You have to be very careful when you it's with shipping that your that you that the items that are long and have a lot of leverage are packed correctly with other items around them to support them, whether that's you know, shelving or whether it's other items, because there's a lot of torque there. And so what ends up happening, just remember that take your case and drop it four, four to five feet. And you should know, like, you should feel okay that that's what's going to happen to your case because that's what's going to happen to your case. It's going to get thrown off of things and thrown onto things. And so you really have to think about, you know, long, we we worry a lot more about longer things than than shorter things because of just, just inertia and leverage. Go ahead, uh, Courtney. Yeah, I,
4: I was just going to mention that the, the cantilever effect, you're going to bend the ears on that rack mount stuff if you've got a, uh, you know, 16-inch deep uh Piece of uh, equipment. And what I do is I take uh, blocks of ether foam, which is that fairly stiff uh, polyethylene foam, and put it if there's any gaps between the, uh, the rack mount piece below or above, and I'll wedge a small block of foam in there to absorb the shock and to support each one. So there's a little stack of foam going all the way up so that the back ends of each of those long, uh, long items are supported. So when it, like he says, it slams it down. The inertia is going to damage the equipment uh, yeah. if you don't internally protect each one from the other.
0: Yeah, and you can see here, like this is, um, like this one is one of those. Oops, oh, the 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 front one there, the little square ones are those the, are those racks, and then the rest of them are just coverage. But we use the ratchet straps that you see here as a. Um, as a way to tie them to our – this is a whole bunch of them (laughs) going to Japan I think. Um, But – and by the way, if you're wondering why they're all stacked upside down is because they sit more level that way on your uh, cart. Uh, Go ahead. Next question.
1: Douglas Carmichael writes in – let's see. There it is. Could you use the Teradek Bolt 6 or another product in the Bolt range in a live sports application to transmit video from boats on a lake, for example, uh, back to the central
0: hub? Uh, you you absolutely can. In fact, it, it actually works relatively well over water. Um, the uh, but but I would we've typically used when we do water we typically use point to point microwave, um, and so uh, the, the, you'd be surprised at how far out you can get <laughs> with, with with a point to point what we call air fiber. Uh, it's made by Ubiquity, um, and so we point them at the boats there. Um, you could probably use a Teradek to to do that. I haven't tried it because again when we when we've done it we've gone pretty far out, like a, a distance that. Um, that the teradek wouldn't manage, and we've used uh, these these point to point transmitters to to get the, that the high bandwidth back to them that we then plumb typically back into a we, we usually have a teradek on either end, not the bolts, but the um, the teradek that'll convert it you know I um, I can't think of what the, the cubes, and we put them on either end to convert it to IP and then back, and then we use the use the um, air fibers as uh, the, the 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 IP connection. And then we convert it back to SDI and put it into a truck. Next question. Coming in from the QR code
1: Anawaha'i from Oahi writes in I listen to pre show audio making my deliveries and like its low bandwidth stream. Hasn't been on until just before showtime for most of the past month and no other audio for a third Sunday. Looks like someone decided to end this play out for people. Why?
0: Uh, we're, <laughs> so we're, we're, uh, That's more of a Sunday conversation. If you ask it again on Sunday, we'll deal with it more. But, but yeah, we decided we're trying to kind of clean up the pre-show and as we clean up that pre-show, you'll, you'll have us turn it back on again. So, um, so anyway, so as we clean up the pre-show we, the pre-show, we decided was not always ready for broadcast and so we're working on uh, tightening that a little bit and as we tighten that up, we'll um, put it back on. Uh, next question.
1: David in London comes in with a QR code. If coding is not your forte, can ChatGPT help design your video production website entirely from start to finish?
8: Uh, go ahead, Brett. I'm not sure that I would rely on ChatGPT to do that for you. Um, it, it is possible to do for it to do most of the steps, um, but Google's getting better at detecting AI-generated content, so you might not see a lot of SEO benefit, um, plus you'll have to still be able to know how to make edits to, um, in, you know, in case uh, ChatGPT gets something wrong and and there's inaccuracies and still be able to place like your logo, um, your color scheme, if you have a corporate color scheme, And because you do video production, um, you're going to want to know how to add in a demo reel. But um, a lot of the online platforms and even like WordPress allows you to add AI-generated content and to manipulate um, the visuals um, in order to pretty quickly get a, a website up and running.
0: Go, John.
6: Brett did a fantastic job articulating. That's exactly correct. So as a web developer for clients, you'd be surprised how much time I waste trying to get a client to write the about us section. I wait weeks and weeks for that content sometimes. And now with and now with the ChatGPT, I'm able to generate a lot of that content for them. All they have to do is approve that. It's not going to do soups to nuts, but it, it definitely helps you with writer block and getting stuff started.
0: Next question.
1: Brian Taylor in Washington, D.C. used the QR code to ask, is there a way to have multiple people assigned to YouTube's two-factor login authentication?
0: Not that I know of. Um, typically, YouTube needs to know that somebody is accountable for what's going up there. <laughs> so, so they want to have uh, – they want to be able to talk to you, especially if you're doing live streams or other things. They want it to to be very specific. So um, typically – there is not a way to do two now the way we do it, of course, if somebody else has to log in, you can have that person another person be a manager uh, or admin for the the site um, you can have so you can have multiple managers for the site, so that's one way to do it um, you can also have, so but but as far so that that 's the way to manage that or you have one person who's available when you log in to give you the two factor because it's asking for a number or something like that um, but but managing your manag- managing or processing your managers. To have different people have access is really the key to that as opposed to uh, one one person managing it. Next question.
1: Coming in from Mitchell Patera in Poland. Can ChatGPT4 turn an article into a script for a documentary or journalistic film? If so, do you have any advice on how to do it
0: best? Uh, it could. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't think it's going to win any awards. I've, I've had it write script, scripts for me. Um and uh, you know they're <laughs> I will admit they're as good as some of the stuff I've seen on Netflix like I mean like they're definitely like the scripts are, some I've seen some stuff, the scripts are not great um and so uh but I but I you know but I've I've asked it to do things I asked it to do one time with a I wanted a, a a romantic comedy with two slugs in a in a high school um you know uh you know aquarium uh but but shot but it's but it's a it's a romantic comedy shot by um Michael Bay and so there was like this that and it and it, it gave me the most classic like romantic comedy thing but with a race in the middle that had them had two slugs racing on some kind of thing and there's a whole process and so it built it built it it, it did all of those things well um and i thought well this isn't a very good script but then i thought is it as good as the stuff i've seen on saturdays or on netflix and i was like nah maybe <laughs> so, so, so it's not so it's not going to win you any awards, but it could give you something that you could have fun with. Um, I think that for class projects for kids in high school, it could be a really good one if they're not studying script writing, if they're just doing filmmaking. Um, next question. Douglas Carmichael
1: writes in, what brand would you recommend for a 4K field monitor? I know Guy used to
2: recommend the U-Perfect range, but I'm open to others. All uh, right, Go ahead, Mitchell. Yeah, I have a few suggestions uh, in order of price because you didn't mention price. Um, I would use a Sony if I could afford it, but a, you'll find it a Sony 24-inch uh, 4K monitor is going to cost you about twenty thousand um, dollars. Going down in price line, I would go to a Flanders um, and Atomos, and a Blackmagic is my final choice.
4: Yeah, go ahead, Courtney. A small HD, I see a lot of those on set these days, yeah. so they seem to be using a lot of those. They can get pricey. The OLEDs, uh, some of the ones that we saw in the Apple shoot, I checked out the price on them. They were twelve to
0: $15,000 each for a 15-inch.
4: The, the small HD started
0: they started so small. Like there was all really inexpensive little monitors and suddenly it grew into something else. The ones we see the most often on set are the small HDs followed by the Atomos. I'm not saying that they're the best or whatever, but they're the most common. So um, Atomos or small HD is everywhere. And then Atomos is behind that. And then we see a lot of Blackmagic stuff. Um, We rarely see Sony and Flanders or other things like that in the field because they're really sensitive and but we do see a lot of them when we're shooting in other places and I will say they, they are amazing. Um, next question. Eric Curtis in Hartford, Connecticut writes in concern that
1: NDI HX video from a Sony SRG A40 to a Tricaster 1 Pro could be out of sync with Dante audio. So I want to use the SDI or HDMI camera outputs and send NDI full a speed HQ instead. Is the Magewell Pro convert the best bet, SDI or HDMI?
0: Uh it's any time you convert to NDI, you're going to lose some, it doesn't matter what f- format. If, if the audio is going separately and you have some sources coming in with, you know, over baseband, they're going to be ahead of the NDI. The NDI takes anywhere from, I think, about 15 to 20 milliseconds, um, which is less than a frame. So maybe that's fine. Um, but the HX, I think, is like 150 to 200 milliseconds behind. So it's, it's definitely a lot more compression time. Uh, I would typically go to SDI. Um, I have a Magewell Pro Connect and they, they work well. Um, so, so I think that that is a uh, uh, that that could be a good a good source there. Um, again, if you want absolute sync, then you're really looking at Gen locked SDI. Um, but if you're trying to just close the gap, then the NDI full uh, should work. And I, again, I I find that the major walls are a little expensive, but they are solid pieces of hardware. Um, next question: Andy Kokendorfer in Vieira,
1: Florida, writes in warning a set. Zoom minimum client to 5.15.5 or later, or Zoom ISO will not work. We had set minimum client more recent than uh, 5.15.5, and Zoom ISO could no longer connect. The reason was that Zoom's SDK is dragging behind Zoom production version.
0: Um, the Zoom minimum client to, well, that's a, the 5.15.5 is really old, I think. I mean, I think that that's like a, That's an old update so I I would definitely push it forward from there Um, but I don't know exactly I mean that's a I think that's a last year update if I'm correct I mean because I'm on 216 something or other now um, and I don't think they've done that many updates and so I'm not sure exactly when it is but that's a that's really long in the tooth so yeah. Um, and we've, we've relaxed a little bit, but oftentimes we've in the past pushed this one. I know in the past with, with the, when we were doing the webinar with everyone, we pushed forward about we were about two updates behind the, the new version where we just force everybody to go that way to avoid a lot of compatibility issues. Uh, next question.
1: Yeah, five sixteen six is the current one. I um, let's see, Hazma Kajar in Cape Town, South Africa writes in: I um, attach my iPhone fourteen and fifteen to a car mag stand. Often takes
0: a screenshot when I'm driving. Super annoying. Is there a solution? Um, I'm assuming that it's doing that because you're hitting the buttons. <laughs> you're hitting the buttons on it that want it that do it. Uh, <laughs> um so the question is it's, it's a mag stand though like i don't you must be just it must be just the way you're holding it i know that steve jobs said that about the cell phone thing but it's just the way you're holding it uh, go ahead chris i was gonna <clears throat> i was gonna say the same thing it's a magnetic stand I, some of those pinchy stands
3: are really annoying um that's i watch your hands
0: carefully as you're doing it uh maybe it's because you're I can't figure out why it would do, why it would use the magnetic stand as a way to. I know that
3: I
4: use, oh, is it possible? Isn't
0: there a gesture for screenshot?
4: Maybe that's turned on and he's making some gesture. Well, it, it, it's, po- shake, yeah, it's, shake it's, it's, the gesture is put phone in stand.
3: Um, no, uh,
4: <laughs> has Turn make, that off and accessible. Is it
3: possible that you've turned on the back tap button? There is the ability to to create a command for back tap. I don't know if you can attach take photo to back tap, but is that maybe it's getting a tap as it snaps on? I'd look at that. Go, ahead, Jason.
1: Yeah, um, Fenwick I think has the most probable solution but yeah also if you hit the top volume up and power button and you did an upgrade from the 13 to the 14 and the 14 to the 15 you may still be retaining the screenshot as top volume up and power so if you're holding it like this when you put it in that could also
0: do it. i did find it i didn't realize that you can just shake your iphone and get have a turn off snooze (laughs) just go or put it on snooze by just picking up and going ah and I I did it because I dropped it and it just turned off. I was like, oh, oh there you go. So, what happens, what happens when you throw it across the room at a wall? I've not tried.
4: I not believe that's that. the
1: undo function. It's the uh, super Henry. mute.
4: It's yeah, yeah, super yeah. mute. It captures a picture of you and sends it to the Genius Bar to, to let them know that you damaged it on
0: purpose. Yeah, exactly. Um, uh, yeah. By the way, because um, we, we have a couple a, a minute or two here. Um, oh, wait. There's another one here. Let's go ahead and throw that one in. It's out of order. Um, anyway, but, uh, let's see here. Uh, yeah, go ahead. Next question.
1: There we go. Uh, yes. Gordon Lake in Los Angeles, California writes in the DJI Osmo Pocket 3 promotes its use as a webcam, but can it be connected to a switcher? And he includes the link from DJI's website.
0: You know, if it has an HDMI out, it can. Um, and I don't know if it does or not. I, I, I believe it does. I think it's got a micro HDMI. It doesn't have any, any kind of HDMI out. Well, there
3: you go. Yeah. But if, but if somebody calls it a webcam, aren't, I mean, let's face it, that that language usually lends itself toward a USB camera.
0: Right, but but other other DGI stuff has had web cam, web, uh, HDMI outputs, and this one doesn't. Um, and so this, uh, so maybe not. You just have to look at whether it has an HDMI output. Um, we did find that if you connect it, you don't get all the cool uh, controls. So we thought, oh, you'll be able to connect it and then use it as a, you know, use the webcam but be able to control the head. And we thought that might make it better than the link. And the answer is no, because there's no control once you connect it as a UBC camera. You have to kind of literally move it around with your hand. So um, so that has turned out to not be as good as we expected um, that that to work. Um, and let's face it, not there's not a lot of people on the planet that
3: consider their 6K Blackmagic a webcam,
0: so. I'm not using a 6K Blackmagic no, as a webcam. I know.
4: Whatever. I am.
0: No, <laughs> oh, and, and the, and I'm, the, and Mickey, like, Mickey think, said you can control it with the hardware controls, but that's not useful as a webcam because you can't reach them. Like it's not, like it's not a, um, anyway, I, I, I think that it's, they need to be able to set up a software interface for that. If I'm going to plug it in, it needs a, they need to match what the link, if they're going to call it a webcam, they need to do what the link is doing, um, or, or the OBS bot, which is have a piece of software that lets us control the camera. Um, a quick reminder, of course, is that the weekend we're, we're going to be, uh, if you are interested in being a panelist, go to officehours.global panelist. And the best time to test that is on Sundays and Saturdays and Tuesdays. You can come in for training at noon Pacific Standard Time. And that goes out in the emails. Let's jump into the second hour. Welcome back to the second hour, and we're doing our, you know, kind of quarterly update on what we're doing with the website and uh, and how it's, you know, where it's progressing, where it's where we're um, where we're hoping to go, and looking really for your input on uh, what that actually looks like, and um, to give us kind of an overview of that. I'm going to hand it off to Josh to talk a little bit about, uh, you know, where the where the website is and, and and where we're going with it. Go ahead, Josh.
5: Yeah, um, I'm kind of uh, bringing forth the, the representation from the web team. Um, we've had the, the website for quite a long time. It predates me, but uh, I had a little bit of a, a historical synopsis of it. Of course, Ken Jordan was instrumental in bringing about uh, the website and the theme that we use. Um, it's something that um, we curate the different um, themes and hero cards uh, for the show. And, um, Ken had done a, a web lab where he, he was able to recruit some help for some other folks to help maintain the lab. And um, the other folks that uh, if you're having questions about the, the web lab, um, Simon uh, Ray and um, Roy have also been, uh, been taking up that mantle uh, of keeping the website updated Um, They've been able to introduce a lot of um, automation into the website to make it easier to maintain and also um, have some capability to bring on some other folks to have contributions uh, to the website. So in addition to just uh, maintaining the website, uh, we also have different teams um, that have uh, been been in charge of some of the content. So we have some uh, some of the representation here from our thumbnail team. So folks that um, live while we're having the show are able to, to pick up the, the thumbnail and, and choose that. Uh, it's a process that's uh, fairly simple right now, but um, we're looking at ways of making that a little more complex, of adding a little more text and things to to uh, have a little more complex uh, uh, you know, uh, input as far as the, the look and the way things work for that. Um, but we're, we're also interested in taking people's, uh, suggestions about where we'd like to go. Um, what's missing that we could be adding to the website. And so people that are interested in, um, giving suggestions, of course, we're, we're interested in suggestions. We're even more interested if you'd like to, (laughs) To carry out your suggestions and be a volunteer to to help. Um, some some people have uh, development skills. We we do have uh, uh, Brett here, so it's help, helpful to have him uh, here on the panel to to have a uh, professional web developer point of view as far as uh, you know managing what things are possible, uh, etc. Uh, but also we have um, different opportunities for people that would like to create different content. We'd like to do uh, a few. Uh, more things. We can talk more about it uh, in our questions, but we would like to add more things as far as um, doing some preparation, doing some uh, field work to add things to the website, people doing research, um, collecting profiles on our guests and panelists. So those are some of the things I can see uh, about you know requests that we might have and um, some suggestions about how people that might want to help out. Uh, different facilities we might want to add to the website at a future time.
0: Yeah, and and so, um, and I think that one of the, one of the questions that, um, and I think some stats came up, uh, one of the things we do work on a lot is also accessibility, and Laura Thompson I think has the first question. So let's go ahead and read that question and then we'll talk a little bit about it.
2: Oh, we lost Jason.
0: <laughs> uh, Mitch, can you read the, read the next sure. question?
2: Uh, It's from Laura Thompson in Beaumont, Texas. Uh, Ken Jordan and I did a demonstration of the accessibility of the Office Hours website on uh, 8-2021. At that time, the score was around 97%. What is the current score and how does that impact decisions for the website?
0: And I think that the current score here is 92%, which is actually much higher than most websites out there. So we we definitely pay um, a fair bit of attention to that. Um, And, uh, you know, this is... uh, uh, so I think that you know I think it's unique for us to spend as much time for the size that we are. A lot of larger corporate site, corporate sites um, will spend time on that on that type of thing. Sorry, I got lost in my um, I got lost in my panel here. Hold on. Speaking of, of websites, here, go ahead, Josh.
5: Yeah, um, our website has um, to the uh, to the uh, credit of those that, that have prepared it. Have been very focused um i would say industry leading in accessibility um there has been some what of a hit taken on we've we've migrated it from different hosting and there's been some changes in the um panel that we use the plan or the template that we've used that have knocked it back a few points Uh, but for comparison uh, i believe um, the note from one of our website folks mentioned that the top uh, 20 Uh, on Google are only 66% um, as far as accessibility with disabilities. Uh, And uh, about 90% of websites are inaccessible uh, at all uh, with people with disabilities. Of course, it's something that we're interested in continuing to make as a comfortable experience for everyone uh, visiting the website and in a particular interest to make sure that no one's left out uh, in being able to reach the, the website. So I know Laura's been very helpful in giving feedback and feedback is helpful as far as uh, helping us to to progress
0: and and we have a lot of folks that are working on the on the on the website here today so if you if you have things you, you guys want to add, go ahead and throw put your hand up into the uh, or or throw some stuff up and if you have suggestions or things that you 'd like to see from that, one of the things that we 're really thinking about is um, as we go forward with the website is really thinking about what we do on the front end and versus what we do on the back end so there are Um, You know, there's kind of a, you know, a discussion internally of, um, and let us know what you guys think Uh, and use, you can use the comments uh, or I'm sorry, you can use the question system to add comments. Um, And, um, and the, uh, uh, so you can give us your, your feedback on that as well. Um, But uh, the, one of the things that we're looking at right now is when you join is to be a little bit more clear and welcoming to just hey, this is what we are, this is what we do. It's kind of a little bit more of a shiny front end, uh, a little bit better about, a little bit better signups, so on and so forth on the front end, um, and make that very flexible um, and easy for us to update. And then have, you know, another piece of that um, that is going to be more of a, if you're already in the system, these these are the places for you to go, <laughs> you know. And so, and and we still make those look nice, but we don't have to, you know. They're kind of managed in almost a separate process. Um, is one of the things that we're thinking about right now is so that we can so that we can kind of keep evolving what we need internally as you know as a group, um, as opposed to and then and then have the front end being kind of uh, a little bit more of a forward facing um, system that we than than what we've had kind of uh, in the back. Um, and so, you know, I think that, you know, I'm really thinking hard about that. Um, part of, for me, part of it is just wanting to make make it really flexible so that we can update it quickly. Um, and um, and and then, but then be able to put heavier things. One of the things we've talked about in the past is being able to have, for instance, there's a kind of a system by which right now, and this has been the case for since we started, is that we don't know who's going to show up every morning. <laughs> we, turn, we turn this thing on and we just go, and then people arrive, you know, like who's going to, who's going to be here, which is by the way kind of amazing like like you know like it's if you really think about it the fact that we've done this a thousand sometimes you know over a thousand times and every single time enough people have shown up to do a show it's pretty kind of kind of crazy but what we'd like to do is start working on the back end of having it be a, a, a system by which we can invite people to those let them know what's happening let and then on the website let you know like if you go up and see this website you would have you know then we would have said you know the all the the list here a couple days ahead of time or the day of, here are all the people and then and also giving them each a little page, you know, the panelists a little page that they can have that is like this is what they know and this is their area of expertise and this is what they do and this is, you know, like all that stuff. So you get a sense of, you know, what those things are, you know, um, for every show and we think that that would be a, a huge value to the viewers as well as the panelists and so, so those are things that we're kind of, you know, thinking through. Um, you know, I I do have a hope that at some point we start doing. I, I look at at um, uh, um, wire cutter as kind of like a like short articles about things that are interesting. You know, I think are something that we could do. We just need to again, if you're interested in content as well as web development, you should reach out to us because we're interested in looking for folks that want to do content that's related to our pro- uh, project. I, I'm another thing that I I kind of. I look at all these links we put into Discord every day, and I think we should put an RSS feed out of like this is what we discussed every day, and and you know an RSS to all those links, so that people just get to if you just you know for me I use the program called Flipboard. If I if you had a Flipboard, you would just be able to every day see the thirty things that we talked about during the thing and flick through them as as you want to. Um, yeah, uh, go ahead. And, uh, next question.
1: Coming in from uh, me, Jason Bache in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Uh, what makes for a great still frame? Go, ahead, Adrian.
7: Well, a great still frame is one that represents what the show's about. So, if we look back at last week, where Chris was fenwicking audio, then you know we picked up a frame of Chris looking quite content at the end of that show that everything had worked, and we then put it together up with a super source of the stuff on his desk. So, you know that represented the show quite nicely. Um, and we want to represent what uh, Office Hours is about. So we want a nice, smiling, welcoming, you know, happy frame because that's, you know, that's our community. So, And we want to make people look the best that they possibly can. Um, if you'd like to see what the process is, I have a wee bit of a demo here of uh, what goes on to yeah, make, absolutely. make the thumbnail. Please apologies for the Zoom screen share, but anyway... So as we go through the show, I usually sit in Makana and see what the questions are coming up so that there's anything in there that might possibly be uh, interesting and we'll get some good ex- good uh, uh, pictures from. As you can see here, we had a, a bit of a comment this morning. So once we get to something, then we, we roll through in YouTube and then we just frame through until we get something that looks pretty close. And we'd like to see some eyes and a good smile and, you know, nothing nothing too much. And then you'll drop into there. So that's the one that I've uh, picked up for this. And then we go and upload it into the website. One there. And of course, live uh, live demos are always the best thing to do, aren't they? So,
0: so this is something change. you that we have built, right? That
7: yeah, this is this is Simon's upload. So mm-hmm. originally, this was uh, quite a janky process. So mm-hmm. you would end up going in to write some HTML code pushing Mm files in various different ways and then this is considerably easier than it was. And once we get it up there, then we need to get it to something around 30K because we want nice, uh, fast loading on the website. So we want lightweight on the website. And then we stick in the name, which is the alt text for, for readers, of course. And then we go publish. Now, what I'd normally do with a show is have the a thumbnail up within the first 20 minutes, which is basically a safety frame. And that then gives us something so that if there's, there's no other decent pictures during the rest of the show, then we go with that one and then just keep monitoring it. And then if something comes up, then we just replace that as we go through. Uh, quite often we've got to work around lower thirds, QR codes and things. So we'll take a a clean plate, so whatever somebody's wearing in the day, doesn't matter what their expression is, and then we can layer that over and, and wipe out the, the QR code or the lower third if we need to get a decent shot. But, um, yeah, it's, yeah, it works.
0: That's great. Uh, Josh? Can't hear you, Josh.
5: Oops. I just wanted to comment on Adrian's demo there. Um, what um, what we've built, what Simon uh, Ray's actually uh put forward is a system whereby we don't have to expose the innards of the website, but we have a contribution portal uh, that we've made. And it does require, if you'd like to um, help out with the folks on the web team, this is one of the uh, tasks that some of our, our smaller crew does. Um, it, it is helpful to do that. Um, the folks that are available, sort of those that are available Uh, while the show is in progress, because we like to get a a timely photo up to be able to do that particular crew. Uh, But a lot of other things that um, we're looking for help for are sort of offline, you know, whenever we're not having the show uh, where you don't really necessarily not really time conscious. We basically just have a deadline, uh, you know, between next week or whenever the next guest is coming on.
0: Next, uh, Go ahead, Cindy.
2: Uh, Yeah, I would just like to talk a little bit about what Adrian mentioned in passing, advice to panelists what makes for a great still frame look at the camera position your <laughs> camera so that you're not looking up at the ceiling to see the monitor and smile laugh use your hands guys like jason are great because he's always so animated and it and it makes for a really interesting still frame so uh-
0: so so that, that's the guidance for us
2: yes. <laughs> so,
8: yeah, yes.
0: to, be, to be better, better sample, And and one thing, one, one of the things we, we found as we started using the QR code is that we have to be careful about how long the QR code stays up because, of course, we can't, anytime the QR code's up, we can't do a screen capture. Like, we're, you know, like it's much harder. So it, it's really important that, you know, so we, we learned, oh, yeah, we have to limit the amount of time that QR code is up because of that. Um, go ahead, Courtney. Yeah, amplifying what uh, Cindy
4: said, I've noticed on my YouTube feed that almost all the thumbnails have people with their mouth wide open for some reason. I guess it gets more clicks. You know, you see, you know. (laughs) really uh strange expressions you know i guess it attracts more more clicks i'm not sure but it
0: seems to be a trend so a lot of the trends follow mr beast and i think mr beast made it very popular to do these kind of very excited looks and and it's funny when it does we 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 were taking a photo with a uh, with a creator and they said okay smile and we all took a photo and they said and then they said uh fake youtube smile and we all went and 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 it was a funny, it was actually a funny photo, but it was the fact that it was we all knew what it was, you know, like it was uh, that that you open it up. But um, now now we think it's going back the other way now because Mr. Beast has decided to smile, just smile, like he's not he's not doing as much of the big wide open thing. So everyone's like, oh, now that Jimmy's doing that, we'll 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 go the other direction. So so anyway, go ahead, uh, uh, Josh.
5: Yeah, um, and it should be noticed too that we actually have a pair of thumbnails, um. If you go onto the website and once we see Adrian's popped his in and that's live right now for our show, um, once we pop it in, um, well, we'll have YouTube actually does a different uh, thumbnail uh, is, is currently in the process too. So you may see a couple different takes on it as well.
0: And we we broke the the, the cardinal rule of of, uh, of these, which which may have been lost in the thing. Was the one cardinal rule I had was that I should never be on the thumbnail. So anyway, so that's a whole other thing. Um. So anyway, uh, uh next question.
1: Talalik Lopez Waterman, this time from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, writes in: How can we make the search function better? I looked for a few this morning, and it was not super successful.
8: Go ahead, Brett. Um, that's a really good point. Um. One example that um, I've, I've talked to Josh about uh, in the past is several weeks back. There was a really, really good show about NDI with experts, and, and I had to watch it three times just to absorb the whole show. Um, but if I just go to the Office Hours website and do a search for NDI, you know, it brings up a few different links, but I'm unable to actually determine where is that episode. Um, so. Being able to um, tag um, each episode with with the context of um, per, perhaps who is the guest or uh, what, you know various topics or or um, equipment that's that's discussed would be super powerful. And then being able to do like a predictive search, like when you go to Google or or on your phone and and it it, it figures out what you are typing. Um, to be able to give people some of the more popular um, search results would be, I think, helpful uh, as
0: well. Go, Josh.
5: Yeah, those are some helpful suggestions for maybe future development. As far as the question, well, question as far as specifically if to search we do we are tracking a couple of known issues as far as search and so feedback to the web team is helpful to sort of uh, lock down the base functionality that we currently have up.
0: Yeah and um, you know one of the things you're, you're going to see me continue to work on doing as best I can and we're trying to figure this out. So. You've probably seen the fact that we fade to black at the end of the hour, between the two hours, and that has become, that went from being very rocky to being fairly stable. I mean, we miss it every once in a while, but we're we're getting to the point where that's become a norm. Part of that is because we're working on automating the record system so that basically it just goes up to the top of the hour and just cuts the, cuts the second hour out and packages it and puts it up on YouTube. I mean, that's where we're trying to go to there. The same thing that, that's happening for the first hour or not the same thing, but a similar thing, which is that we are um, uh, working towards. You'll hear me say "next question," and I'm efforting my ability to take a space there for a second, and then say clearly "next question." And what we're working towards is the ability for AI to look at that and go, "Oh, that's a new question," and I'm I'm going to grab the next thing that that's you know we're going to remove next question, grab the rest of that you know grab the question, um, and and then basically atomize the first hour so the first hour becomes cut up into little pieces put up on YouTube as individual shorts or not shorts but but individual little videos that are all there and then make play a a rolling playlist and that actually I believe will actually make it easier to search for them because they'll all have the they'll have the question in them they'll have the title in it they'll have exactly you know um, potentially somewhere down the path we could even have who answered the question that could be driven back from our system you know because we know who's who raise their hands, right? So to, to answer the question, and so there's a bunch of data there that we're working on to be able to make this, you know, easier, um, based on YouTube. Now, the there are, um, you know, there, in previous versions of of McCona, we had more inve- actually more tools related to that. We just didn't need them as much, and so we didn't keep, continue to develop them, and they were a lot of work to develop. But they were basically control using the SDK for or the API for YouTube to control the playhead and we knew where all the questions were and that next question helps us do that like so that's why with hosts I give sometimes they get little notes like say next question like I don't want you to say anything else and don't blur into it (laughs) like you know like just just do something to hit next question Um, and that's what we're trying to and even I'm trying to work on that but that's going to help help make some of the stuff searchable uh, some of the searchability actually easier if we do. There's software development, hardware development, and that's a little bit of wetware <laughs> development of making that actually work. Uh, next question. Douglas Carmichael
1: writes in, would we be able to add searchability for past questions?
0: Yeah. And that's what we're working on. That's what I just – I kind of over answered the last one and answered your question. But we are working on making it searchable. I mean the goal is eventually is that you uh, – we will not go into the past. So we're always developing forward, um, you know. and. Uh, you know we're not going to try to figure out how to handle the 55,000 questions that we've already answered um, in in office hours but we will as we develop the system the idea is to build something that you could theoretically you know there's a couple pieces to that one is us tracking all of that information the other and, and atomizing it and making it you would find it but also was that a good answer and so one of the things that we're hoping to do is it, you you probably if you look at it I think that you can um, select in, in uh, the chat, if you're in Makana right now, you can select the question and give it a heart. That's a vote. Like, that was a good answer. We haven't really p- published it because we have nowhere for it to go right now. But the idea is that, you know, the idea is the producers will tell us that was a great answer, that wasn't a great answer, et cetera, et cetera, over time. And that helps you helps us not only give you, here's all the times we answered something about the mixed pre, but they're ranked in the order of, of relevancy and then ranked in the order of quality. Because um, when you ask when you answer fifty five thousand questions, we might have answered the same question or similar questions a couple times. Um, next question coming in
1: for me, Jason Bation, Albuquerque, New Mexico. Does YouTube make use of image metadata descriptors when ingesting a still frame?
0: Uh, I don't know. I don't know if it does. Yeah, go ahead, Josh.
5: I've been informed that YouTube does tend to favor um, icons that feature text, so that is a so, uh, somewhat an SEO advantage.
0: Next question.
1: Tlalak Lopez-Waterman in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania writes in, What SEO is done? When people have questions about topics we cover and type them into Google,
0: do we pop up? What's interesting is I don't know how much of our website pops up and I don't know what we're doing with SEO there. Um, maybe some of the guys can raise their hand and let us know. but. I will say that a lot of our videos (laughs) show up from YouTube. Uh, So um, we we show up more and more often inside of, like if you're doing a search for uh, a variety of things, I'm noticing, at least on my search results, that I'm seeing our videos show up more and more on YouTube. And one of the things that this is not really a, it's kind of a website thing, but we're looking for products that we think might be popular or products that are interesting to us that we know how to, that we know well, that are not well represented in YouTube as a, opportunity for us to build some training for it, you know, so you saw me fiddle with a little bit of, um, you know, Chris, you know, on our website or not on website on YouTube, Chris fiddling with a little bit of the um, how to do the, you know, his video on how to use the Korg and how to use, you know, all those things and you see my little one on Keynote. This is me just playing with Mm -hmm. the idea, like I'm not trying to do anything there, I'm just trying to see like and what i will say is that we're probably going to get more aggressive about that because what we're seeing right now is since we started releasing those videos and there's a bunch of other factors that are going on so we're not sure if there's a causal relationship yet we're seeing kind of an overall arch if you look at our if you look at our our average number of subscribers it's kind of going like since we started releasing them it's kind of going like not maybe not quite that steep but more like this you know up and so and it's been like this for years. <laughs> so so it's so so we think that 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 there's a positive uh correlation between producing some VOD video you know, some straight uh videos as well as what we're doing here. Yeah, go Josh.
5: Yeah, and um our site um as it's constructed is organized so that Google can see the shows and the show titles. Um, there is an update that's being pushed out um, soon that might be able to, to update the way that that SEO penetrates a little deeper. Next question. John
1: Preto in Las Vegas, Nevada writes in, I can share my prototypes and thoughts.
0: Go for it, John.
6: Okay, so I had a, I had a meeting at eight o'clock, but I think that this is more important. So I've, I've got about eight relational databases that tie all this data together. I do have a I do have a community prototype prototype up and running. I don't want to sh- share it yet, but everything that Alex just mentioned earlier in the show um, is built into this prototype. So anything related to a panelists, what his specialties are, his equipment gear, all of his gear could be listed up there easily. So his community page could be completely enumerated. that's that's easy stuff. Um, the database related to every show, a screenshot of all the shows, the dates all the metadata related um guest info so every time a guest comes on I've got a database for each one of those guests with screenshots multiple appearances Paul, when oh, Paul and you came, can't
0: you can't show them to us yet
6: I could I could show it to you now I'm gonna I'll run out of time oh, okay. I I've sent on. you I've sent you a video when did you send me Alex at our thousandth episode i' will send you I'll send you, oh, I'll send you a video of, of what I've got now and I'll send you a yep. link to Mm-hmm. to the process. So I've got a lot of this stuff in works already. And so I'm, I'm super comfortable in an in, uh, optimistic moving of the future, except yeah. right now I got to run to another meeting.
0: Okay. Well, thank you. Thank you, John. And we'll, we'll talk, we'll have the, everybody talk together and get this kind of figured <laughs> out. That's great. One of the things I want to do is, is we were talking about earlier is, is have the front end of the site be something that is potentially even a slightly separate URL, you know, up where we can kind of develop that. And we're really thinking about that. And then we can have a lot more of the heavy lifting on another part of the site that doesn't, that isn't uh, as, you know, we're not worried about it as much so that the that front end stays stable and the back end can keep on evolving faster. Go ahead, Josh.
5: It, um, contributions like John's are extremely helpful um, when you're able to mock something up and show different layouts and things, we can evaluate that um, overall. And, and inevitably, there are some uh, ways that we're collecting data now, just in the regular documents that we have. Some people are doing a lot more verbose (laughs) uh, data collection, like John is as well. So connecting the data that we already have, as well as where we'd like to go and having, for those that are able to do like a mock-up of things, um, of course, you know, having regular suggestions of things of saying, hey, I'd like this or like that is great. But if you can you can do a mock-up or show exactly, you know, what your suggestion or idea is. And if you have the capability to do that, um, that definitely goes a lot further. Next question. Tlaloc Lopez Waterman in
1: Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania writes in automation can be useful, but it can also be felt by the end user. How do you keep the humanity in the website while making it easier to maintain? I'm
0: gonna go, to Josh.
5: Well, there's there's people involved. It um, a lot of uh, a lot of the steps of what we do. I know that because often I'm one of those people that greets guests. Um, you know, uh, pulls them onto the stage for um, when they're when they're doing things. We have a whole PSC crew uh, that basically white glove. Uh, you know, uh, is able to, to 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 greet people. As far as visitors of the website, um, having contributions of people making uh, content uh, for that is something that's that's uh you know is, it feels more organic than something that's procedurally generated although having being able to procedurally generate a lot of things that are just repetitive means that we can actually focus our efforts and our volunteer hours on things that are intentional
0: yeah um i i do think that there as we move forward as we grow there'll be a couple things that are automated, like getting the screen getting the screen uh, up quickly for what you know is is a more automated process i do think that um had a lot of conversations with people who build thumbnails that eventually we're going to, you know, and if you're interested, reach out to Josh or myself uh, or both. Um, Eventually, we'll have a thumbnail team and we will handcraft the thumbnails. You know, like if if it's just a matter of having people to do it. Right now, we don't have the people to dedicate every day that I'm going to, you know, I'm going to actually or a couple people to actually handcraft the thumbnails so that they are the you know, but that takes that takes time to do. But if you're interested in doing that, and it's a great Photoshop exp- you know, <laughs> process, um, uh, Photoshop or Keynote. Um, and um, but but there's not, you know, we the automation will get us a long way, and it's really important that we do the automation that we have right now, so that we have because we're doing something every single day, and we you know we are a volunteer organization. So having a capability of doing that, but I do think that eventually we'll probably end up. Um, building, you know, thumb, a thumbnail team is necessary for also the pre-show. Because right now, before we do the show, it's just a gear in front of it. Um, and so, you know, having thumbnails for every one of those shows, you know, that is designed and put together. So if it's something that, you know, I think that that's, you know, we have to kind of think about that. But I think my, one of my goals is that those start to, you know, really get, you know, are, are more, you know, set up, you know, inside of the system. Um, So that you can really see something there. Uh, and so, but but I, I do think that there, it is hard to get out that. We probably put more human resources into what we do than probably any other Zoom-based show I've ever seen. You know, like we're not, there's somebody actually cutting a show. There's people actually greeting people. There's people actually, there's probably more people involved with what we do than most. But for the webpage, you know, a lot of times we've been, you know, working on, you know, really making it efficient. Um, and again, I think the thumbnails as we want to grow the, YouTube channel, and I'm talking less about the web page and more about the YouTube channel. Uh, we will probably get you know if if we have a crew um, you know three, four or five people that are willing to work on it, we would probably get more aggressive about those thumbnails um, as far as, as how to put them, how to put them together. Um, next question
1: Douglas Carmichael writes in Alex, you mentioned AI segmenting the questions would GPT four or another similar large language model be able
0: to do that? yes <laughs> yes, they, they can uh, and and especially as we look at the GPT these little apps that are getting built, we think that there's a lot of opportunity there to build those out, um, and so uh right now, what i 'm trying to do is lay the groundwork by figuring out the wetware solutions to make it easiest for the for the AI solution to manage it, so that i 'm managing how we ask how I ask the questions and how the other host asks the questions so that um you know we're able to manage that and and I, again there 's this back and forth of delivering, you know, eventually what we need to do is we need to deliver the, you know, the, the question, um, the text, uh, who asked it, who raised their hand, you know, the order in which they raised their hand, all those things are data that is data that we have and we'll have to marry that back to the, the metadata that's there. And so it's, it's a, that's a, just that project is probably a whole team in itself to figure that out. But it's definitely something we'd like to do as we go into next year. Um, And I do think it'll make a radical difference to, you know, how this, you know, how that all looks. And and to get back to the automation that, that has already been shown around thumbnails, r- remember that we might have to build something with thumbnails. This is where automation happens. Like the main show may have its own thumbnail that someone handcrafts and works on. But the, you know, if we're producing 25 or 26 thumbnails a day, then we're going to need to have the, the tools that the team has worked on to build those out quickly and easily. Um, next question.
1: Eduardo Augustide in Panama, PA writes in: How the YouTube chapters are being implemented right now, and how can this help for the website? Does this feed any value to the Office of Sours website directly?
0: Well, I know that it feeds value to the YouTube audience because we definitely get comments when it's not there, um, and so. Uh, but it, it, right now, it's just a text file. It's it, you know, it, it's just a matter of having those. And I'm not uh, Mucana generates the, those, those those that data, I believe. And then that data is um, formatted again um, to make that actually happen. I I actually, I always feel like it's a success in delegation that I don't actually know how that works. You know, like I I know how I do chapters, which is you put the time code there and it works, but the exact function of how that works um, is, uh, but I I do think that we can feed some of that data back in. Again, there's a lot of data we're generating and we're just not tying it all back together yet. Uh, Next question.
1: Mickey Macachor in Manila, the Philippines, writes in: What process and policies does the website team have in terms of users and individuals' privacy and gathering permissions to one's image and likeness on the
5: site? Uh, go ahead, Josh. Uh, there's a privacy policy on the site, and um, it's GDPR compliant.
0: Yeah, and and so and as far as the um, the. Uh, we assume and, and maybe we shouldn't but we assume that if, you, if you're if you on a show on YouTube, <laughs> you're, you know, we're, we're taking things from something that is already publicly available. So um, if you know and I think that uh, I don't think we haven't had any pushback yet. So we'll see. Next question.
1: Guy Cochran in Seattle, Washington writes in, how can we use something like Opus to improve the site search and he includes opus.pro slash learning hyphen center?
0: We've looked at Opus and it hasn't been quite the right one-to-one relationship of what we're trying to actually get done. But Opus and you know is is, Opus.ai is definitely um, a site that could work. uh, You know the uh, yeah so we've been researching it It hasn't been a a direct lineup for us yet. Uh, But I I, you know and and again what we need are people who are willing to jump into that and do some research on it. Um, A lot of times. You know, it's a volunteer process so we, we get as much done as we can. <laughs> so that one's a deep deeper water to, to do research in. Next question.
1: Tlalek Lopez-Waterman in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania writes, and we talk about YouTube views and concurrent viewers, but what is the trend of website usage?
0: And I, I actually, you know, I pay attention mostly to the YouTube usage and less to the website usage. But I think that as we start to evolve what we're doing there, I think we'll spend more time on it. Yeah, go ahead, Josh.
5: Yeah, concur. Um, we're not currently tracking that, but that's a good idea. Maybe it's something we can look more into.
0: Uh, next question.
1: Coming in from me, Jason Baish, in Albuquerque, New Mexico, which ML large language models exist to properly examine an image and turn out metadata
0: descriptors? Yeah, I, I mean, I think that the, the issue, what I would say is that we have so much metadata related to what we're actually doing. I don't know if we need to do any image analysis. Go ahead, Brent.
8: Um, there are uh, definitely um, providers out there that that can do that. Um, the one that comes to mind is Clarify. It's um, C-L-A-R-I-F-A-I, um, and they, they do specifically that with um um, metadata descriptions um, and computer vision. So it, it's out there.
0: Uh, next question.
1: Jason Robert Shaw in Sarasota, Florida writes in, hashtag OHG, hashtag OHGlo, hashtag OHGlo, hashtag OHGlobe, is there an official hashtag for Office Hours Global?
0: Uh, I don't know if there is. I don't. I don't know how. I don't know how that's added. Are those? The, are those all the ones that are added to it? It might be that we just. There's a shotgun approach there. These are all the things you might tag it with. Um. You know, I. I'm fine with hashtags. Uh, I will say that I work on a lot of social campaigns and I have a fairly dim view of the value of hashtags. You know, hashtags, and so I allow them to be added to it. Uh, but, from the data that I have from much larger campaigns than the one we 're we 're doing, um, I find them to be not as you know it 's not something I pay much attention to if people want to put it in it 's fine um, but but I work on some pretty large projects, and the hashtags uh, have a very limited impact on those on the success of those projects beyond a lot of other things so that's that 's my my two cents on that <laughs> so um, uh, usually it has to do with quality and who 's sharing it and how it 's shared and everything else I mean the hashtags are you know, they all, everything adds to what what's searchable but it's probably less than 10 percent of the impact. Um, so so for, for those and so I tend to pay attention to 90 percent impacts. Um, next question. Robert Zababide Sada- in Poland writes in, I
1: use opus.pro. It is good to give us a draft. After getting the draft, we have a process to input the file into DaVinci Resolve and use a script to mark the required sections and we format and render the individual shots in the format that and that's the end.
0: That's, uh, that's pretty interesting. Yeah I mean again I think that there's a lot of this stuff that's going to we're going to be using AI not so much to generate content but to process content. So processing questions processing um, you know the data everything else this is something that it's not only that it would be uh, expensive or hard to do human in a human way it would not be possible you know on larger projects that i that we use uh you know uh commenda or the or the sister app uh or Com, uh, commenda or Makana, those are the two that two they have slightly different features um the We sometimes deal with thousands of questions in very short periods of time thousands of questions in less than twenty minutes you know um and and uh and then we we're really thinking hard about how do we how do we process those questions and how do we find you know find the perfect question for the show? when we have you know I've got to find 12 questions out of 6,000 you know like that's I mean I've had that problem <laughs> you know like so so um, and and you know we the great news is is that when you do something where people are passionate usually I can grab anything out of there I mean I, any, every 10 questions is a question that I could there's a question I could use so it's not that bad but we would love to be able to be you know we think that there's a huge opportunity there to to refine that further go ahead Josh. Yeah,
5: and um. One thing we we, we try to, to do is manage the expectation based on the resources that we have uh to maintain a particular feature or service. Um obviously the, the more folks that are are able to support a service, the more that we're able to uh you know, to support different things. Um, but it's difficult if we start doing a particular thing um and then stop. Or discontinue it later, then it's, <laughs> people people feel a little more let down if we uh, start start doing something and then cut off at some point.
0: It's it. A- it's a huge consideration, just so you know, like, if you wonder, like, why don't we do this feature? It's mostly that we look at sustainability as part of the feature set. So, like, you can see, we've had some comments on turning off the pre-show, which we should turn back on again. Um, and uh, But we turned it off, and, you know, people had built up expectations based on that, that, that they get to listen to it there, and now they're not able to, and now now we're hearing about it. And so, so, the... So we are very sensitive to, like, if we're going to start, when we look at what we're going to add to the website, what we're going to add as a service, what we're going to add to anything else, and it's going to be publicly facing, we definitely have a, uh, there's a conversation of, you know, who's going to do this and how are they going to do it and how long will it take them to do it and can they do that every day or every week or every month or whatever that is. And so, and it does limit how fast we go um, because we're definitely not like, hey, let's just try, you know, we're not moving fast and breaking things as as much, you know, and so we're really thinking about what we can do. And that's been the case for office hours in general, even if you look at the show, there's a lot of cool things that we could do with this show. I
5: just don't know if we can do it every day
0: <laughs> for, you know, and and we figured out what we can, what we think we can do every day. Josh?
5: yeah, We had the question before on, you know, um, having the human touch versus the automated. Um, Having the automated or the AI to accelerate to do a lot of the you know the programmatic work, it, you know it pushes forward the the volunteer hour or contribution forward to where we could do things. You know, being able to find lots of different points inside the the content of the shows or be able to do things really quickly means that we can spend more time really picking and curating between what's been suggested with the AI and and moving forward. So. Setting up systems that uh, amplify and push us forward is really helpful uh, for, for those different systems that are available, that, you know, it's it's, it's something that uh, we're not going to completely turn over to, to AI, but it's something that um, makes, uh, you know, a, we can go further with less input.
0: Any, any final uh, comments from our team? I don't think we have any more questions here, so I've got a little... Little open time there, but if you're interested in being part of the of the website um, and interested in being part of the development, um, definitely reach out to Josh. Again, um, one thing to know is that if you think that something's important that we're doing, um, the uh, uh, then if you think you know, oftentimes we'll come back to you and say, "Well, it'd be great if you worked on it." (laughs) So, so you can have ideas Uh, and do don 't feel feel free to say especially in RFIs, in uh, in in other discussions things that you want you don 't have to do anything we 're not going to ask you to, but if you think that there 's something there for us to look at, definitely put those into discord let us see those things we 're always processing we may not get to them for a year or six months or a month, so you have to be kind of patient with us um, to do that but it 's not that we 're not listening it 's just that we 're managing the resources that we have um, and so uh, so anyway so that 's the You know, that's something to kind of, um, you know, uh, think about there. If you are interested in being part of it, whether it's, and again, it doesn't have to be a web resource person. You could be a person who wants to work on the graphic design, wants to work on the thumbnails, wants to work on um, content, research, process, all those things. You know, those are things that are that are available to you to be part of. It's not, you know, the 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 design is very important, but it's not the only thing that's required to keep a website going. Um, and so so there's a lot of content, um, graphics, other things that are available and will become more available. And just letting us know that you have time and you're interested, and you know, we'll and then we can start talking about your skill sets. Um, and and even if you're getting just getting started, I, I will tell you as someone who most of the things that I that I got good at was because I had to do it every day all day to make that happen or every day so like for instance if you want to get good at Photoshop or get good at you know design layout or whatever you know doing you know thumbnails doing a thumbnail every day for instance and building that out and designing it is a great way to just get that get turn the skill the first couple will take a long time and then after that you get kind of fast at it and then you're going to start paying attention to little details and you'll start to do other things with it but those are the kind of things that um, doing something constantly it is not it's very rare to build up a skill by reading a book about it and doing it once. It's really, you know, if you look at like whether it's, in, you know, editing on the back end here or working on some of the bits and pieces or doing things on, a lot of these things come from repetition, you know, and and so, and repetition measured in hundreds of repetitions, not 10 repetitions, not one repetition. And so we, you know, we have some opportunities for you to play if you're interested. Go ahead, Josh.
5: Yeah, I was looking for the best place to submit Uh, feedback and we don't currently have a website, uh, discord. We do have RFI and that's a good place to, to put it in or tag it. Maybe we'll add a, uh, a website place specifically if you have your suggestions, feedback, or if you're willing to offer your help. Go Jason. Yeah. And just as a
1: thought along those lines, if you've submitted something in Discord, maybe it was a year ago, maybe it was two years ago, and we haven't, um, we haven't addressed it or no one said anything about it and you've just been thinking in the back of your head, why is it taking that long? Come back to us and, and say, you know, I really – I like this and um, I think I know how to do it.
0: That'll get it right to the top. And you don't even have to know how to do it at the beginning. <laughs> like, you know, like, I mean, the web development, yes, but, but for graphics or ideas, a lot of times we don't know what we're doing. We're like, I mean, there wasn't a pre-show coordinator. I mean, no, that doesn't exist. I mean, it doesn't exist in the same way that we use it. And it just happened. You know, like we will figure it out and we will make it better and we'll build systems around it. So, uh, you know, being committed to it and interested, into, interested in it is the most important thing. So we'll do this about every quarter, let, give you an update on what we're doing. You know, think about those things in between those times. And of course, you can talk about them on Discord anytime you want and also bring them up on Sundays. We don't usually talk about the website that much during the week, but if you bring them up on Sundays and, and concerns and so on and so forth, we're, we're working through that. So um, yeah, so the definitely Sundays, our are, are introspection day uh, is really the day to bring up uh, concerns or more suggestions around it. Again, we don't talk about it. We don't do, it's mostly I just don't want to bore people who are coming on the weekdays with internal matters, we do this every once in a while on the weekdays so that it's recorded and people can watch it later and then give us feedback. But for the most part, if you have those kind of comments and questions, go ahead and throw those into Sunday um, or into Discord. Uh, RFI is room for improvement if you're in Discord and um, it's not room, not request for information, kind of it is, it's kind of a request for information or, or, but we call it room for improvement. And if you have concerns or complaints or anything else that, that you'd like us to make better, RFI in Discord. It's near the top. Um and uh you can throw it in there and let us know uh things that you'd like to see more of or or sometimes less of. Um and so uh so the um so definitely throw them in there. And again, Sunday is the day every week that we hear you out. You know, like what are your comments, questions, concerns about what we're doing here as you don't see that very often if you're only watching the YouTube channel because we don't we it's an internal discussion. We don't stream it. But you can, uh, if you're interested, you'll see the links to how to get into that and watch it if you're on, if you go to uh, officehoursglobal slash join, um, and you can get the email from there. All right. Thank you so much. Thanks to the producers for all the great questions, both in the first hour and the second hour. We really appreciate your contribution. And uh, a big thanks out to the to the panel. A lot of our uh, uncommon panelists who came here to have this discussion with you about the website, uh, we really appreciate you guys jumping on, and um, you folks. And... Uh, and uh, we hope to see you more often and uh we we'd like to. Cindy, we have to do another turning session. Yes. 100% I just, so great. It's so great to watch you turn. So so I you know like the the, the uh, we'll, let's just find a time before we get through the end of the year to just I don't even know what we'll talk about but talking about it again, I just it's like magic. So, so anyway, so I just just want to say that while I was thinking about it, when I saw you I was like, oh, are we going to turn no, we're not going to turn. All right. So so anyway, so um uh it was it was funny. I was talking to someone who has a U, another YouTube channel that turns and, and I I mentioned that I knew you and he's like you know Cindy. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, uh, anyway, that's fun. That's fun. Anyways, but thank you to uh, again Adrian and Brett for jumping on as well and Josh, uh, not normal folks that we normally have on. We would love to have you guys on more often. So uh, so hopefully you, you'll you'll pop in and if you're interested in being a panelist, of course you can go to officehours.global/panelist and sign up. Um, we, we we appreciate everybody's contribution there um, and we appreciate the incredible team that makes this all happen. That's this backend team that we were inviting you to, uh, whether it's the website or the show or managing the show or cutting the show or developing for the show, all those things are really important. Um, we traveled 88,000 miles today, 139,000 kilometers and that is 687, wait for it, bananas for scale. <laughs> all right, let's go ahead and jump into after hours. Hey, you think Mid Journey could turn us all into like Simpsons for our uh I have a Simpsons version of myself that I did in Mid Journey. It looks Ooh. really it looks very Simpsony. I I look I look adequately dorky. So that's um it's it's good. <laughs> I think I did me as Homer Simpson.
7: Oh. All, right. all right. All right. Thanks everybody.